0: Francis Schaeffer was a a, a theologian and an evangelist in the 20th century. Very brilliant theological, philosophical mind. Had a great way of understanding culture and the way that people, even non-Christians, the way that they thought and the way that they viewed the world. And at one point, Francis Schaeffer remarked that if he had an hour where he was on a plane with someone that did not know the Lord... And he knew he had an hour that he could spend talking to them. He remarked that he would spend the first 55 minutes talking about creation, talking about to this person where we came from, talking about being created in the image of God, all of these issues. And then he would spend the last five minutes presenting the gospel of salvation. And whether we'd actually do it like that, what he was making the point was that Schaefer felt it was a grave mistake when we avoid these important questions, these worldview questions like, like how we got here, why are we the way that we are, who's, who's in charge, who makes the rules. These are all questions that's related to what's called worldview, how we view not only ourselves, our society, how we, the interpreted grid that we put over everything. And everyone has a worldview. Even someone says, well, I haven't thought of one, I haven't developed one, you, you have one from somewhere, it may be incoherent, it may be false, it may be derived mostly from uh, movies and TVs, or your neighbors, or who knows, but everyone has a world view, because there's questions, the big questions about life that need answering, and can even be basics, you know, are, is there a God? Are you God? How did we get here? Questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? And that's a profound question. If you want something to get a conversation going with someone, you're like, how do I get a conversation going with someone that's interested in God? Just throw that out there sometime. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because think about that. It would be a whole lot easier for there just to be nothing. I mean, that would make sense, but there's, there's stuff. And we might have disagreements, but there, there is reality. And why is it here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Does life have a purpose? Is there, is there a plan? Where are we going? Is there anyone who can really say what is right or wrong? What is wrong with this world? What is wrong with you? Can anything fix it? What can fix it? And how does this all end? These are some of these big questions that are about worldview. And Genesis, the book of Genesis, I think especially these first three chapters... In this series, we hope to get through in Genesis Volume 1 up to Chapter 11, but we are going to be spending a few months, God willing, in the first three chapters because there's so much in those chapters that informs us about a a correct, a biblical, a true worldview from God's perspective and the way it actually is. And so we need to spend time doing that. And we're going to see as we go through this that the Uh, entire narrative of scripture, the entire, from from Genesis to Revelation, gives us an overarching worldview uh, that is basically a gigantic story that we find ourselves in. And the story, if it had four parts, you could label it as creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. How do we get here? What's wrong with the world? What can be done to fix it? And where are we going? How does this all end? So a biblical worldview. And we're going to see not even just the first three chapters of Genesis, but even the very first verse. In English, it's ten words. How much you can draw out from this as far as a worldview being shaped by this, if you believe these ten words. I mean, It's seven in Hebrew, but each one of them is so important. So let's read together. It's so one verse, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, so simple. Ten words in English. So profound. And how much of life, your life in the world, is going to be different if each of these ten words are true and if we believe them. So, we think about this phrase, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think it's just profound, even if we just look at the first four words that are here. In the beginning, God. That from eternity past, in the beginning, from before the beginning, there was God. And that he existed. So the first point of this message, if you're taking notes in the outline, is that before time began, there was God. That he existed from the beginning. The first words of Genesis, of the Bible, and how it begins. I was think it's interesting you see a TV show, a program, uh, you know, the pilot episode, how it begins. This is how the Bible, the, the, the story of reality, the universe begins. In the beginning, God. And the book of Genesis takes its title from the uh, first word in Hebrew is bershith, which means in the beginning. And when it was translated later into Greek, that's the word Genesis, which means beginnings. So the word, book of Genesis, literally means beginnings or in the beginning. It's what it is all about, how we got here, how it got started. And we see here that our world had an absolute beginning. God didn't, but our world did. And so before there was anything, there was God. And so before the beginning in eternity passed, it doesn't even really make sense to say before, uh, time began because it's a time without time. It's before even God created time. But before all this, God existed. God always existed. Before the beginning and eternity passed, there was there was nothing outside of God that there was when it was just God and nothing else because he is eternal and nothing else is eternal. You might say that in the sense where we are created now and we are uh, eternal going into the future because God has created us and will with... Um, keep us going and our, our, uh, our, our being doesn't end when you die here on this earth. You go somewhere, okay? But that has a starting point where God doesn't, that he is eternal in, in all directions. He is timeless. He never had a beginning. There was never a time when God did not exist. Before time began, God existed. So there's a few just basic truths that we can get from this. This is presenting that the biblical worldview is, is monotheism, I mean, mono means one, theism, God, there's one God. So there are not many gods and there are not no gods. So this first verse of the Bible uh, counters atheism because it says there is, there was, there always will be, there is God who exists. So God exists and I think I want to take some time to just think, what was this like? I mean, we can't really understand. We, there's no way we can wrap our mind around this thinking you know, before time, before space, before you know, the world, God in his eternity past. But based on Scripture, there are some things that we do know that are true. And one is that God existed eternally as, as Trinity. That according to the Bible, and there's hints of this even in Genesis uh, chapter 1, but it's, it's made clear as we go through the rest of Scripture that there's one God, but this one God existed as what's called a, a Trinity, it means triune, three in one, that there's one God, but... Three persons in the Godhead. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're each equally and fully God. They're inseparable from each other, uh, but there's only one God. But there are three different persons, not yet human beings in the sense that we are, but they can have relationship with each other. They can know each other. They can appreciate, they can delight in each other. So one thing we need to realize is that from all eternity, timeless eternity past, God was not bored. He did not create the world because he was bored. Sometimes when we're uh, young, we think that way, that he must have been really bored forever and uh, he, just, he, he needed somebody to hang out with, so he made us. That's not what it was like. God the Father already had the two most interesting other persons that will ever exist with him in the tight relationship of love and joy for all eternity. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the same way God the Son, uh, that we we know him as Jesus Christ now, he had God the Father and he had uh, God the the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit had the other two and they knew the glory of each of the other. They delighted in this. There was this eternal happiness, this eternal joy that the Trinity had forever. So the Trinity could have just remained in that state and would have been fine. There was no boredom. But God chose and wanted to create others that could enter into that joy, that could share in the joy of who he is. And for us, we think, well, that's narcissistic to think, I need others to, to know my glory. But for God, that's just appropriate. He is the most glorious one. He, he knows it and it'd be wrong for him not to know it. And for him to create us to know him is the most loving thing that he could possibly that he could do. And even as I say that, I think, well, what about the cross? The cross is so that we could know him in his fullness as Savior as well, to know his love. So God, before he was not lonely, we have to recognize he didn't have to create this world at all. There was no necessity within him that uh, he just had to create. He could have chosen not to create the world At all. He could have chosen to create a different world with different rules, with different people in it. Maybe people that made different choices. And before time began, I think one thing we just have to realize is that God had perfect knowledge of all that he could freely create and exactly what would happen if he created this world. Because think of this. God is uh, completely all-knowing. There's nothing hidden from him. And there's nothing hidden in him of himself. And from eternity past, there's no world out there for him to know, but he knows himself and he knows all that he could do. All of the possibilities that he could bring into, into existence. Like an artist that knows, I could paint this picture, I could paint this picture, I, could, I don't have to paint any picture, but these are ones I could do. And he knows he's confident in his ability to bring this about. So if this is true, and I'm absolutely convinced that it is, it means that in the mind of God, of all the possible worlds that he could bring into existence, of all the the plans that he could actualize and make real, one of them that he knew was this world that is the storyline of our Bible, which is the storyline that you find yourself in, in your life, in every detail. And God knew all of this from the very beginning when he chose to create this world. This also means that before he created the first anything before time and space. He knew exactly what would happen. He knew the chain of events that would be unleashed. He knew both the, the beauty and the glory and the happiness. He knew also the heartbreak, the sadness, the wars, the sin in our hearts. He knew what would happen with Adam and Eve. That is not something that caught him by surprise. He didn't create the world thinking maybe they'll, maybe they'll just obey And this would be good. He knew what was going to happen, what they would freely choose to do. He knew your life, all of the ups and downs. And he knew from the beginning what he was going to do about sin. He knew it was going to take place and there was already a plan, a plan of redemption before Genesis 1-1. He knew what he was going to do, that it was going to involve the one even whom God created the world through, Jesus. The sun coming into this world, it was going to involve Bethlehem and it was going to involve the cross. And God freely chose still to create this world leading to you and our lives. So in the beginning, the time when it was nothing but God, the verse goes on. In the beginning, God created the heavens And the earth. The eternal God created everything. In this first sentence, God is the subject of the sentence. I think it is very appropriate, not a coincidence, that the first sentence of the Bible, God is the subject, because it is all about Him from beginning to end. He is one that is always about, everything is about God. And the word that's used here for, for created, The God created the heavens and the earth. There's a few different words that are used even in Genesis 1 for creation or making things. And some of them can have more of the idea of shaping what is already there. Uh, But this word bara, when it's used in this form in Scripture, is always used with God doing the creation. And it always has this idea of something new being created. So God is... He's not just here at the very beginning, uh, taking some sort of matter or some sort of pre existent stuff, and now he's got the Plato, now he's shaping it. That he's bringing even that into existence at the very beginning, creating the the heavens and the earth. Now, when we say that, we think, well, heavens and the earth, is heaven like where God is, maybe? Or is it talking about the sky? Heaven is used of the sky as well. Is it talking about just the earth like the ground? The expression that's used here, this was a Hebrew way of speaking. Okay, they didn't have a separate word to just describe the universe. When they wanted to say that, they would say heaven's and the earth. It was a figure of speech called a mirrorism, which means just heaven, earth, everything in between, just, just everything. That God created all that is, all of creation is created by God. And as we'll see as we go through this, and if you look ahead, if you have a Bible, and you look ahead to verse 2, and you know, the next weeks we'll be seeing how God did this. But he created the world unformed and unshaped at first. And then he's going to form it. He's going to, he's going to fill it over the course of the, the six days of creation. But God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created, the doctrine, the Christian, the biblical doctrine is he created Everything out of nothing. God created everything out of out of nothing. God created the universe ex nihilo. A Latin phrase. It's a cool one. It's neat to say. Ex nihilo, which literally means out of nothing. And so this is another important part of the, uh, the biblical worldview. It wasn't that there was some preexistent matter or energy that was out there that God used to start. He brought uh, just everything. Uh, every Adam, every subatomic particle he, he brought into existence. Even the, the canvas of space, he brought all of this uh, into existence out of, out of nothing. There wasn't some other energy source that he had to use. Uh, he, even, he brought all of this into the world out of nothing. The book of Hebrews says something that I think shed some light on this as well too. And, uh says the same thing, Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We're going to see this. He, just, he spoke it into existence. Not in, a literal, not in a speaking with vocal cords, but in a way that he expressed it and it happened. Created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are, are visible. And that doesn't mean that there was invisible stuff out there. What it means is he created it out of nothing. That God just, he brought it into existence. You know, we can't do that. We sometimes talk about people being creative or creating things. But what we do is really just reshaping things. And some people, I know some of you are just excellent craftsmen, I mean, wood workers or whatever, but you need wood. You need something to make things out of. Uh, this past week I visited uh, someone from our congregation at their work and saw their, their, their factory and making things and uh, making duct work. But um, they, as far as I know, they still needed the uh, materials to be brought in. That there was no one there that can just uh, conjure tin out of, uh, out of nothingness. You know, it had to be brought out of the earth, it had to be shaped, and, and it's a process of shaping different things. And so we, we shape things, that's our version of creation, but God's creation is just making it out of, out of nothing. At a VBS Sunday a while back, when we had it, I did something with the kids. Maybe some of you are here for that. And we were talking about this, and I had a bunch of Legos, and I had some kids come up, and I said, we're going to have a competition so you can build something out of Legos. And i like, all right. And brought them up here and I said, okay, you're going to build? And then I didn't give them the Legos. I said, you know, God didn't need it. You, you make your own Legos. They're like, what? <laughs> and the whole point is that, you know, God can do something we just, we can't do. We can't make things out of nothing. But God can and he did. And it was not only the matter, the physical stuff, but space itself. The, the, whole, the whole canvas of space that everything is in time itself God brought into existence. At the beginning, there there wasn't even time. God is outside of time. So you see, God created everything out of nothing. It's part of the Christian worldview. There was a beginning, and the universe had a beginning. Okay, and if that's true, it also requires a beginner. And you can see that very clearly in uh, in Genesis, there's a beginning. God is the one that was the beginner. But if there's a beginning at all, we just know from logic, it requires that there's some beginner, someone that, that brought this world, uh, that started things off, that brought it into existence, that got things going. And so even if you have a different worldview, you still have to deal with this issue. You could either say, well, maybe the universe has just always been here and it doesn't need an explanation. Uh, but if it began, then there, it is this troubling question of kind of seems like somebody began it. You know, there's the law of entropy. There's the laws of thermodynamics that systems tend to, to lose energy. They tend to go from a state of order to a state of disorder. And scientists say, you know, according to the worldview, and I think this would be the case if the Lord didn't come back and just let things play out, that eventually uh, the universe loses heat, the stars burn out, They disperse, and eventually one day at the end, the last little bit of usable energy in the universe gets used up, and the universe goes into what's called heat death, and there's just nothing more forever. The thing is, if the universe had already been around forever, eternally, we would have hit that a long time ago. And so there's reasons, even just from science, to say that the universe had to have some kind of beginning, which implies, yeah, there is a beginner, that we should realize there's these reasons to believe in some agent out there, someone that is, has the ability to bring a world into existence. And that being must be awful powerful in order to do this and must not be a part of this creation to bring this one into being. Now, the Bible doesn't give these arguments. It just tells us the, the truth of this. And in the book of Genesis, uh, it was written by, by Moses uh, and I'm sure there was things passed on to him. Uh, the God probably gave him other. Uh, he was a prophet, so direct revelation as well. But Moses and the Israelites weren't debating. I don't know if God exists. I mean, they saw him intervene. They saw the the Red Sea being split. They experienced him in the pillar of fire. So they weren't having these philosophical questions. They just they knew. And we have the record of that in Scripture. And there are also just good reasons to believe that, yeah, it does make sense that there is a God behind all of this. A beginning requires a beginner, and everything that has a beginning has to have something that was sufficient to cause it, what they call a sufficient cause. And so sometimes, I'll go through this quickly, but this is an argument for God that's sometimes called the first cause argument or sometimes called the the cosmological argument. And you think of dominoes if dominoes are going, that at some point, somebody pushed the first domino and somebody got that going. That if you see dominoes coming along, it means somewhere along it had to have a start or else it never could have even gotten here. And so this world that we find ourselves in, there had to be some kind of first cause, something to push the first domino. A way to say this is that everything that has a beginning is caused by something else. I mean, that's just the truth that we realize. If anything that is has a start, anything that philosophers call a contingent being, is caused by something outside of it, by someone else. You know, you, on a human level, you were caused by your biological mother and father. Okay, there's, this podium was, it was created by someone, and you say before that, you know, the, the wood, and it can go back. But eventually, there has to be a first thing. Uh, this is the law of cause and effect, and, and it goes back. But notice it says, everything that has a beginning, there is an exception. If something is eternal, if something is what philosophers call a necessary being, it wouldn't have to have been caused by anything else. The thing is, everything that you see, everything you're looking at right now is is caused and had a beginning at some point in time. The chain of cause and effect cannot go back forever. You can't have it go infinitely into the past. And therefore, there must be some sort of eternal first cause. Now, if you're just looking at that, on its own, that doesn't lead you right away to the Christian God. But the Christian God makes sense there. That you have one that is outside of space, outside of time. And helps us to realize that what the Bible says, this, this makes sense. This explains a lot. Someone that is outside of time that was able to start this all off. And realize if someone, if you didn't believe in God, you said, well, doesn't have to be God. The, the Big Bang got everything going. Realize the Big Bang doesn't really solve the problem. Okay, so even if the Big Bang was true, let's say hypothetically, realize that just pushes it back because then there's the question of, well, what caused the Big Bang? What made this happen? It kind of seems like there was a, a big banger to make this, uh, to make this come about. And really, uh, in the history of science, for a long time, people believed different theories. They either believed in an eternal universe, and those that were trying to fit it, you know, evolution into it, they liked that because it gave as much time as they thought was possible. Uh, but when scientists started to shift to, you know, this idea of a big bang, and they had from different reasons, they observed it seems like because of the red shift that the galaxies are moving apart from each other, and it seems like there's truth to that, uh, but they, extrapolated that well if you rewind that all the way there was a time where everything was this tiny little speck right in the beginning a little um you know a singularity and at some point the singularity that always existed uh just exploded into this world okay uh, and they say this you know that without god that it just happened now the point is well what caused that to happen how did that singularity get there And if that singularity is there, you know, for eternity, that would mean that it's in a state of equilibrium. And we know that if something's in a state of equilibrium, that it's going to stay in that state of equilibrium. It's not going to change unless it's acted upon by something outside of it. So even if, let's say, the world happened that way, it would still require that there had to be something else that caused this to happen. So that doesn't solve the problem. And that's why uh, some people, scientists, really didn't even like that theory because it implied a, there was some sort of eternal cause. So there was something that had to be in the beginning. Now, I'd like you to think about nothing for a moment. <laughs> this is the part of the message where I'm going to talk about nothing. This part of the message is about nothing, kind of like Seinfeld. Uh, But think about this. If there was ever a point in time where there was absolutely nothing, there would never be anything. If there was ever where there was absolutely, absolutely nothing, there would still be nothing now. And the reason for that is if it's true absolute nothingness, nothingness has no ability to do anything. Nothing can't, create. Nothing can't change. It's nothing. It has no potency. It has no power at all. As it's said sometimes, from nothing, nothing comes. So you can't say, well, there's chance. Chance is what did it. Chance is nothing. Chance chance isn't a real thing. Chance is just a word that we give for probability. It can't actually do anything. So if there was ever a time when there was just nothing, that's what it would still be. There had to be something that was there, something that is eternal. And the eternal one is, we know, is the one that's outside of space and time, the eternal creator, the one that didn't need to be brought into existence. There's a scientist, and his name is Lawrence Krauss. And in 2012, he wrote a book called The Universe from Nothing, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. And he was on all the talk shows and different things explaining that he had he had finally solved it and written this book about how the world could appear from, from nothing. And scientifically, And now there's, there's no need for God because he had proven that the universe could come from nothing. And he talked about quantum physics and that event, he, he, he described this, that uh, when we think of nothing, you know, we can't think of nothing, you uh, we, we think of it wrong. That there was no particles, uh, but there was this underlying quantum foam and different particles would pop in out of existence at times and eventually explain how our world just arrived from that. We'll realize, okay, he just redefined nothing as actually something. Because even if his theory made sense, I don't know, uh, <coughs> there still had to be this underlying, you know, quantum foam, whatever this is. There still, I think, in his theory, it had to be it had to be gravity. Uh, it wasn't absolutely nothing, and a lot of people have pointed that out. But he didn't call his book the universe from almost nothing. Should I say, well, is from nothing, but it really wasn't. Um, he defined it as a vacuum state containing no particles in a relativistic quantum field. Okay, well, even though works, how did that get there? Now, of course, the question you might be thinking, and people think this all the time, is, is it's a good question. Say, well, okay, well, if everything needs a creator, what about God? Say, well, I got you there. Because if everything needs to be created, caused by something else, then God as well too. But that's not how the logic goes. It's everything that comes into existence needs a cause. Everything that is created, everything that has a beginning, if something is truly eternal, it's always been there and it doesn't need a cause. And so we have to say, does the universe fit that bill? doesn't seem like it does. Scientifically, Philosophically, biblically, it is not. But God is the one that is eternal and outside of space and time and able to be the creator, the cause, the foundation of absolutely everything else. So if you say, Who created God? the answer is nobody. And God didn't create himself. The answer is not, Well, God created himself. Nothing can create itself that violates the law of non contradiction because in order to need to be created, you uh, don't exist. But if you don't exist, you can't create yourself. So he's not self-created. He's he's self-existing, but he's always existed. God's a totally unique being. He's like nothing else. He's like none other. He's a totally different category. And when we think of God just in categories like he's just some kind of improved version of a human being, we have it wrong. He's like no one else, like none other. And finally, last point for this morning. There's a lot here, even in these these first verses. This is going to seem obvious, but a lot of people in the world, billions of people don't believe this, what I'm going to put up next. God is not the universe, and the universe is not God. There is a distinction between creation and creator, that they're two different things. Another way to say it would be to answer this question. One or two? Do you believe that all of reality is ultimately one type of thing or two types of things? And there are a lot of worldviews that view um, it as uh, what can be called one-ism. You can say monism, but kind of like when people describe it as one-ism. One-ism or Two-ism which is a Christian worldview, but there's a lot that are one-ism, where they view everything as basically one type of existence. And there's two ways you could do that. One that's very uh, common of this would, would be called naturalism. It doesn't mean that you love nature, but what it means is that you view the natural world, the material world, as, as all that's out there, as all that actually exists. Naturalism, there is just the world. There's nothing else. So back in the day in the the show uh, Cosmos, uh, Carl Sagan would start that program saying, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. So materialism, naturalism, in the beginning were the particles. They would say that everything, according to this worldview, can be explained by what's in the box of nature, the box of this world, and there's nothing outside of it. Nothing, there's no God, there's no, no supernatural outside of nature. It's just this world and what is in it, and everything needs to be explained by what's in the box of this world. That's one way. The other way, if you say, well, everything is just nature and there is no God, you can flip that around too, and you have pantheism. There is just God. Everything is God. And we think, well, I don't know many people that believe that. There are billions of people in the world that do. So many of the Eastern religions, this is what they believe Uh, That everything, and maybe not God, well, definitely not God in the way that we think of it, but some kind of divine energy, some kind of divine mind. Uh, It's not personal. You can't have a personal relationship with this God, but we're all part of this. Uh, An account of a a Jewish grandfather that was talking to his grandson about God. And the son was kind of struggling, and, and the grandfather asked the son, well, is there some kind of, a picture of God, a metaphor that, that makes sense to you. And this boy answered and said this. said, God is like the ocean and I am the wave. And here's the thing. We say a lot of this is like Eastern type stuff, but there's a lot of people in America, a lot of people I think in Michigan that would say, yeah, that really makes sense to me too. You know, everything is, is God. God is like the ocean and, and we're like little waves. But here's the thing, the wave doesn't have a a separate existence. And that wave is just going to disappear back into the ocean and become one with it. And that's how these uh, different world views, like I said, a lot of the Eastern views, but a lot of stuff that is common in America today. um, And stuff that, it is a growing influence. Things that view this all as one. And there could be a whole list of things we could fit that tap into this with transcendental meditation, goddess worship, Wicca, Teachings of yoga, Zen, so many of these different things that all is one. That's not the biblical worldview. There's the biblical worldview is not oneism, it's twoism. There is creator and there is creation, and they're distinct. As great theologian Jay Gresham Machin said, that between the creature and creator a great gulf is fixed. There's two categories, one or the other. God existed forever, and He brought everything else into existence. Creation is not God; God is not the creation, but they both exist. It's twoism. So let me just finish this with some applications, okay? And some of these are pretty obvious if we think about it, and we need to think about it, and we need to live our life. It's one thing to say, "Oh, I get this," but it's another to like take it in and live our lives in accordance with this. So a few things to think about as we finish up: You are not God. Hate to break it to you, but you're not. You're not part of God. You're not some ripple in the uh, current of God. Okay, in him we live and move and have our being. He upholds us. That's biblical. Okay, but you are not God. And so it means you are distinct from him. It means, you know, don't, uh, you don't have the follow your heart mentality. is maybe not going to work out too well because you are not God. You are not the creator. You are not the center of existence. You are not the one that holds everything together. You owe him for your existence. You owe him your allegiance, your worship. Because he is God and we are not. It also means that you depend on God for your very existence. Not just every breath you take. Every molecule in your body that holds together that makes you who you are, that didn't come from you. That came from God. And if people think, I have no need for God and if God were to say, well, I'm going to take away, fine, if you don't need me, I'm going to take away uh, the, the things that, that are mine. I mean, he could just deplete the atmosphere. and That would get your attention for starters. Uh, you know, he could take away the, the sun. He could take away everything. The ground beneath you disappears. But it wouldn't even be just you, you know, floating out there in space because your heart, your organs, everything, every, he'd have to take all this and you are gone. Every tiny part of you Owes its existence to God. He created it and he upholds it. And we need to recognize this. That means we should have attitudes of humility before him. He is God, we depend on him. Gratitude for what he has given us. This existence, this world that is that is his, our lives, our bodies, which are all traced to him. And accountability. You know what? If he creates the world, he designed it, he gets to call the shots. That's what makes sense. Because we didn't build this. We didn't design it. He did. And also, God made you to know him and to enter into his joy. It's the glory of this. He created this world with His plan for you to exist and for you to come into the joy of the Trinity that he had forever and ever. Our sin takes us away from that. But he created you to enter that joy. That's what he wants for you. To glorify him means that you, your heart is changed so that you acknowledge that joy, you appreciate it. He gets the, the glory and you get the joy from this. That's his plan. And the God who made you loved you enough to suffer to save you. He created this world knowing that you were going to come into it as a sinner This chain of events with Adam and Eve and their sin and us, we were going to come into a sinner, but he already had a plan in his mind and was set in motion from the beginning. Nothing took him by surprise. And he had planned for the cross. He had planned for a redeemer, one that would do what we can't do, saving us by grace alone, through faith alone, based on what Jesus Christ did for us alone. And don't think that it's just God the Father that that created this world and then he sent God the Son. He did. Okay, God is the creator. He did send the Son. But they were all involved in creation. And that means that the one that hung on the cross for you is also the one that created this world. And the one that created the world is the one that, in Christ, hung on the cross for you. Finish by reading Colossians 1, 16-20. Talking about Jesus. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for God. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. You were created by Christ. You were created for Christ and for his glory. And if you have turned to him you have been saved by Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come and we confess you as the creator of all things. We owe everything to you. Lord God, we come to you grieved and apologizing for so often that we have not been filled with gratitude to you for every breath we take, for every atom of our existence, Lord God. Lord, we have not been humble. We have not realized our accountability before you. We have sinned. And we thank you, Lord God, that before creation, you knew that we would sin and that we would need a Redeemer, that we would need a Savior. And if before time began, that you had a plan of salvation, that Jesus Christ would be the one that was crucified. He was crucified in time and space in a place outside of Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago but he was also, in your mind, crucified before the foundations of this earth because that was his plan. And we thank you that he had a plan to save. And we give you glory. You are our maker, our creator, our savior. Help us to live for you each day. In Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.